I'm Carol Regeer. My husband Lowell and I have been attending Faith for about seven years. Today I will be reading from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word. Thanks, Carol. Good morning to each of you. I'm glad you've come to worship here at Faith today. I'd like to begin by asking you, what, what is the biggest threat that you face right now? What is the biggest threat that you face in your life? And it could be, <clears throat> could be any number of things. It might be something that involves other people or circumstances, or it could be something that involves solely you. So, for example, maybe you have a threat to your, your physical health, to your body, uh, due to injury or due to illness. Or perhaps there's a threat to your, your spiritual health or your mental, emotional health. And that could be for any number of different reasons. It could be because of decisions that you've made. could be because of things that other people have done to you. It could be because of some sin that has a grip in your life. And whatever it is, but it may have just left you kind of demoralized and defeated and really in a, in a bad place. Or it could involve, involve something external. Maybe it's a financial threat that you're facing. Maybe you've got loss of employment, or maybe you have expenses that far exceed anything that you can afford. Or maybe there's a threat to a relationship that means everything to you. Or maybe there's a threat to your reputation. There's basically nothing you can do about it. Or maybe there's a threat to want someone that you love dearly. <clears throat> and somebody that you love so dearly, you would trade places with them in a second if you could. But you can't. And so all of us, different times in our, our lives, we face these threats, these, these battles. 
And so can you identify your biggest threat right now? Once you've identified a threat, now you have to decide, how am I going to respond to it? You've got a lot of options. Uh, you can panic. Uh, you, can, you can kind of have the attitude, an eye for an eye. You threaten me, I'm going to threaten you in return. Or you can withdraw into yourself. You can kind of retreat and hide and try to simply survive. Or you can respond the way these believers responded in Acts chapter 4. These disciples of Jesus had been threatened by people who had power. I mean, they had power to do anything they wanted. They could arrest them. They could beat them. They could even kill them if they wanted to. And as Brian mentioned last week, this has been the plight of believers down through the centuries. We have many brothers and sisters in Christ all across the world uh, who are in this, this very uh, situation right now, facing persecution simply because of their faith in Jesus. Well, in Acts 4, verses 23 through 31, the passage Carol read, we're told how these believers responded to this threat that they faced. And the way they responded is a model to all of us. And we may or may not face the same circumstances exactly that they faced, but we prepare for possible threats like that by responding to the actual threats that we face. We respond to them the way that they did in today's passage. And so we're going to see two essentials if we want to respond the way that they did. And if we want God to respond to us the way he responded to them. And so whatever threat that you're facing, keep it in mind as we, we go through today's passage. And I also would mention this. this is, these two essentials are the place to start. They're always the place to start. But there may be additional things we need to do. We may need to change something about the way we're living our lives. Or we may, may need to have a difficult conversation or we may need to invite other people to help us and walk alongside us and give us strength and encouragement and advice. That these two essentials are the place to start. If we don't start here, whatever else we do doesn't really matter too much. So first, in responding to threats, the first thing to do is know your God. Know your God. What comes through loud and clear in this passage is that these believers knew their God, and their knowledge of God informed the way that they prayed. And just to remind you of their, <clears throat> their circumstances, Peter and John had gone into the temple. There was a man there who was lame from birth, and they healed him in Jesus' name. And then they explained to the crowd uh, who Jesus was and how he was the one who would ultimately be the resurrection from the dead. The Jewish authorities were threatened, and so they, they took them into custody. They interrogated them, and they, they basically told them, you are commanded never to teach or preach again in Jesus' name. And Peter responded, basically, that's not an option for us because there is no other name under heaven by which a person must be saved. And so the authorities threatened them, and released them. And this is where we pick up today's passage in verse 23. And when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And like thus, they could have responded in many different ways, but instinctively, they responded by prayer. 
And the first thing they did in prayer was to rehearse what they knew to be true about God. And the first truth that they rehearsed about God is that God alone is sovereign over creation. God alone is sovereign over creation. Notice how they put it in verse 24. And when they heard it, when they heard that they had been threatened and released, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And so they were acknowledging, God, you're sovereign, you're the sovereign Lord, and you alone are sovereign over all creation. And what we find there in, the, this, uh, in verse 24 is pretty much verbatim what is said in Psalm 146.6. And there the context is that since God created everything, then he can be trusted when you're facing oppression, when you're facing persecution. Listen to Psalm 146, verses 5 through 7. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And then here we have it. Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the, sets the prisoners free. And so the God who is the creator and the sustainer of everything, including humanity, he is a God who can be trusted when you find yourself threatened. He is the Lord of the heaven, the earth, and the seas, and everything within them. Within them. And so as the creator and sustainer of everything, nothing is beyond his reach. Nothing is beyond his power. And so that's a significant thing to pray when we're threatened, to remember that that's true about God. Because what often happens is that when we find ourselves threatened is that we tend to become self-centered and sometimes incredibly self-absorbed. And the threats that we're facing, they become giant in our eyes. And God becomes very small in our eyes. But if you know your God, you know that that is not true. God is the creator of everything. There is no place where he cannot reach and act. And so if you know your God, you'll remember that and you will trust him. The second truth they affirmed about God is that God is not only sovereign over creation, he is sovereign over history. He is sovereign even over the threats that enter into our lives. And here they quote directly from Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. And you know why they were able to quote these psalms in prayer, right? I mean, they they were devout Jews. They grew up learning the Scripture. They knew these psalms. They could say them from memory. And that's how they knew their God, is through the Scriptures. But they're still talking to the Sovereign Lord when they say this, who through the mouth of our father David, so David was the human author of this psalm, David your servant, he said, by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspired him, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And so this is from Psalm 2, 
And it's what's known as a royal psalm because it talked about royalty. It talked about the king of Israel. And so here, verse 26, the king of Israel is referred to as the Lord's anointed. And they call the king the anointed because when he was coronated, they poured oil. They anointed him, poured oil on his head, and it dripped down upon his robe. And that symbolized that the blessing of God was being poured out upon the king. The problem Israel had throughout her history is that there were surrounding nations who raged against Israel. Their, their rulers banded together. Many times they formed these coalitions against God and against his anointed king. But Psalm 2 tells us a, a fascinating thing. Read it sometime. Read it this afternoon, you get the chance. It tells us that nothing, none of this takes God by surprise. As a matter of fact, the next stanza in Psalm 2 says that God sits in heaven and does what? He laughs. He mocks the kings and the rulers who rage against him and against his anointed. And by the time you get to the end of Psalm 2, the Psalm two psalmist tells the rulers of the earth, if you don't want to experience God's wrath, you better kiss the sun. In other words, do homage to him. It's like, kiss my ring, show your loyalty to me. That's the only way that you're going to escape God's wrath. And it ends up by saying, blessed is the person who takes refuge in that son. And so by quoting Psalm 2 back to God, they were saying, Sovereign Lord, you are the God who is on record saying that the enemies of your anointed king, your son, will not have the last word. And then they prayed this, For truly in this city, here in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And so they're saying, God, Jesus is the anointed king of Psalm 2. He is your son that you have, have uh, anointed. And Herod and Pilate and the Romans and here's the shocker, and the peoples of Israel, his own people, had gathered together in Jerusalem against God and Jesus, his anointed. But they're also saying that when they crucified Jesus, it did not take God by surprise. No, as a matter of fact, God is in heaven laughing at him, laughing at them. He's going to raise Jesus from the dead. And they will not have the last word. Rather, what they did fit within the sovereign plan of God. They carried out, they said, what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And so do you see what they're praying here? They're basically saying to God, you are the God of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is happening here in this city. And so we understand and believe that you are in heaven laughing at those who plotted and raged against Jesus and who are now threatening us. And we believe that unless they repent and kiss the Son, they will experience the fury of your wrath. But us, we take refuge in you. And so they knew their God. They knew that God is sovereign over all creation and God is sovereign over all of history including the history that they were then experiencing. And so because they knew their God, 
now they're ready to make a request. And when you think about it, if you're going to make a request to somebody, it's really best that you know them. The better you know them, the better you'll know how to ask and what to ask. You'll know what they're capable of. You'll know what they're willing to do. Uh, you'll know <clears throat> whether they're generous or stingy. And when you, when you ask the right person the right thing, it's a sweet, sweet thing. Let me give an example. Some of you know I, I make Windsor chairs. It's kind of a serious hobby. I think we have a shot here, an action shot. There's a chair that I, I made a while back. And much of the chair is made from a log. And so that bent bow on the back, that starts out as a white oak log. And so when I started making Windsors about 15 years ago, I had to, I had to find a logger. Uh, the problem is that in Kansas, white oak doesn't really grow. True white oak doesn't grow very much. Good news is there's a lot of it in Missouri. Now, I don't know if you've ever Googled logger in Missouri, but when you do, there's a lot of them. And so I just Googled it, and I, I just decided, decided to call the first guy I, I found there. He's a guy named Gary. He lives in northwest Missouri. And so I called him. He said, hello. I said, Gary, my name is Steve. I live in Manhattan, Kansas. And I'm looking for a white oak log about six to eight feet long, about 16 inches in diameter, and I need veneer quality, a veneer quality log. It can't have any twists, it can't have any knots, can't have any cat faces, anything like that. And I, I half expected him to just hang up on me. I'm like, why would I give this guy my time? But you know what Gary said? Gary said, it sounds like you need a log that's growing on a, a flat field that's surrounded by a lot of trees, so it grows up strong and tall, it doesn't have branches, that's the log you need. I'm like, yes, that's what I need. And he said, I think I can do that. And I said, Gary, about, about how much would you charge me for this log? And the rule of thumb is, uh, you pay whatever he wants. I mean, you, <laughs> anything he wants. You know what Gary said to me? Uh, 50 bucks, 50 bucks. And so he's not gonna make any money on me, this guy, turns out he's knowledgeable, he is generous, and he's willing to help me. And so for the last 15 years, Gary has been supplying me these cheap logs. It's a sweet thing when you ask the right person the right question. When it comes to God, we don't have to wonder who he is. We don't have to wonder what he's capable of. We don't have to wonder, is he generous or stingy? We don't have to wonder if he is willing to help us when we come to him with legitimate needs. And so this is reason number 97 to study the Bible, okay? The Bible is fundamentally about God. The Bible talks about a lot of other things, but it talks about them in relation to God. And so the Bible tells us who God is, what he's capable of doing, and that he's incredibly generous. And when it comes to his people, he's incredibly attentive to our needs, like this threat that you're facing right now. If you know your God, now you're ready to make a request of him. Now, what's so impressive about these believers in Acts chapter 4, in light of everything we've seen, God, you are sovereign over creation, you are sovereign over history, they prayed accordingly. And so that's the model for us. First of all, know your God, and second, pray accordingly. 
In other words, pray in light of what you know to be true about God. And this is true whether you're praying about a threat, whether you're praying about a decision, about a relationship, anything. This is what the disciples did in Acts 4. After saying, God, you're sovereign over creation and history, they made two very simple requests. I can't tell you how impressed I am at both of these requests. First request is very simple. simple. Verse 29, it said, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. That's all they had to say about these rulers and those gathered to rage against God's God and his anointed and against them. In other words, since God, since you're the God of Psalm 2, notice their threats and do whatever you need to do. Do whatever you want to do. When you believe that God has authority over everything, you can pray that sort of prayer and you can leave the outcomes to God. You don't have to tell God exactly, do this or else I'm going to be disappointed in you. Do this or I don't believe that you're, you're sovereign. Nope, you can, you can uh, pray that and leave the situation in God's hands. And so it's significant that they did not pray, God, wipe out our enemies so that we are never threatened again. Why didn't they pray that? Because Jesus had told them that's not the will of God. That's not the plan. Jesus told them, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. They, they accepted that they would be persecuted when they spoke in Jesus' name. And they were content, like Jesus, to entrust themselves to God. Years later, Peter would write in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, that when Jesus was threatened, when he was mocked, He didn't threaten in return. He didn't revile when he was reviled, but he entrusted himself to God. And so these believers, see in chapter 5 when Peter was arrested again, but this time he was beaten before he was released. And when Stephen was executed by stoning in chapter 7, and when James was executed by the sword in chapter 12, they kept entrusting themselves to God. They didn't give up. They didn't give in. Knowing that God knew exactly what threats they were facing was enough. And second, they prayed, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And so their main concern wasn't their own security. It wasn't their own comfort. Their main concern was being loyal to Jesus. Jesus had given them this assignment, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And so they prayed, God, grant that we might be faithful as your witnesses in Jerusalem. Give us whatever we need so that we might continue to speak your word with boldness. And the dominant idea of boldness that might have a lot of connotations in your mind, but it's not primarily getting in somebody's face and telling them something they don't want to hear. The idea of boldness in the New Testament is that of confidence, and it's, and it's the idea of openness. Instead of being timid and ashamed and half apologizing for talking about Jesus, you're confident and you just trans, you're transparent. You just let people know this is who Jesus is. This is what I've experienced with him. And so you speak it, you share it openly. And notice what they add in verse 30. He said, while you, God, stretch out your hand 
to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Did you catch that? Through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They weren't backing down one bit when it came to speaking and teaching and healing in Jesus' name. As they had told the council, there's no other name by which people are saved and healed. So they prayed, God, continue to stretch out your hand, perform these signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And we'll see in chapter 5 that that's exactly what happened. And again, don't miss, don't miss the, the fact that they prayed for the grace and the power that would make their lives for, to do something that would make their lives more difficult, not more comfortable. They understood that because the rulers and the Gentiles and God's own people raged against Jesus, that they would also rage against them. And they understood that God was sovereign over all of it. And because they knew their God, they prayed accordingly. And look how God responded, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they, the place in which they they were gathered together was shaken. And so there was a visible, there was this tangible manifestation of God in that place. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In other words, God gave them exactly what they had asked for. He gave them this fresh filling, this fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that they could continue to spread the, the news about him. And so they asked the right person for the right thing, and that's how they responded to God's, and that's how God responded to their prayer when they were threatened. And so if we want to be like these disciples in Acts 4 and respond to the things that threaten, threaten us the way they responded to their threats, we simply need to know our God and pray accordingly. And so I want to encourage us to, to follow their example in Acts 4 in two ways. The first is very simple. Simply pray for boldness. Pray for boldness the way that they did. And so even though we have incredible freedom in this country, uh, sometimes we feel threatened. Sometimes we feel intimidated. Sometimes we might be threatened or intimidated, but many times... It's us. We're the ones that just feel that way. And that's all that matters is we feel that way. And so I would encourage you to begin praying the way they prayed in Acts 4. God, give me the grace to be transparent about my faith. Give me the grace to speak to people about Jesus with boldness, with openness. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, empower me. Help me recognize these opportunities to share Christ with people. You are sovereign over everything. You are sovereign over every situation, every relationship I'm in. And so I pray this. I trust you. And so I encourage you to start praying that. And this may, may be something you've never thought of to pray. Maybe in yourself you don't really feel like praying this. But I, I would ask you, why not take a risk? Why not? Why not pray this? We tend to think, well, if I can figure it out, exactly what I'm going to say, and if I can, can kind of uh, manage the situation, then maybe I'll do it. And so we tend to trust in ourselves. But what if we just trust in God? Say, God, will you give me this? I believe this is an assignment you've given me, and so I ask you to empower me to do it.
It's interesting, I talked to a friend this past week and, and he actually said, I ask God for opportunities all the time. I just pray about this all the time. And guess what? All the time he has these opportunities to tell people about Jesus. What we pray for, we tend to look for. And if we pray in accordance with God, God's will, he answers us. He says, yes, I'd love to do that for you. So pray for, pray for boldness. And then second, looping back to the thing we talked about at the first, what is, what is the biggest fear that you're, you're facing? And in light of today's passage, these two simple questions. So what is, the tr- what is true about God that's relevant to that threat? And then second, how should I pray accordingly? Again, you might need, to, you might need some, some help in answering these questions if you don't know the scriptures particularly well, you might ask a friend who does to, uh, hey, can you help me understand how I, how I can answer these questions? And if you don't have a friend like that, let us know. There's many people here who would love to, to come alongside you in this. But let me just give one example of how this, this might work. Let's say that the, the biggest threat in your life is some sin that's, that's really dominating your life right now. And there are many, many things that are true about God that are relevant to that threat. And uh, the Bible uh, makes very clear, for example, that God is infinitely holy. He's completely other. He is completely pure. He's infinitely perfect. And God actually hates that sin. We're told that in numerous places. God hates that sin. And there's many reasons for that. Uh, First and foremost, because it dishonors him, but also it devastates it devastates us when we sin. It keeps us enslaved and weak and lethargic, whereas God wants us to be free. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to be full of life. And so what's true about God? Well, God is holy, and therefore he hates that sin. You know what else is true about God? God is more gracious than we can fathom. And God gives his grace. He gives this help to people who don't deserve it. And we're told in many places that God gives grace to the humble. And so when we bow the knee and we submit to him and we, we admit, God, I've sinned, we bow the knee to him, God gives us incredible grace. And so those are just a couple of things to know about God. And so if some sin is dominating uh, your life and you're clear that God hates that sin, but he gives grace to the humble, then pray accordingly. And your prayer may go something like this. Just, just this, these are the ideas. God, I admit that I'm enslaved by a sin that you hate. God, instead of fleeing for that, from that sin, many times I run toward that sin, toward the jaws of that temptation, time after time. But I humble myself before you in repentance. God, would you give me your hatred for that sin. Open my eyes. Show me how you look at that sin. Keep me from temptation. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me to walk in obedience. And so that's just one example. If you know your God, you pray accordingly. And in this situation, you will most definitely need someone, someone else in the body of Christ, to walk alongside you. And again, if you don't have those people, let us know. There are many people who would love to do that. But you might need people to give you advice, give you courage, 
help you be obedient. And so the threat that you're facing may be very different, but hopefully this gives you an idea of how you can know your God and pray accordingly. The Lord's table is an opportunity for us to remember some of the core things that are true about God. The bread and the cup, they remind us that God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for our sins. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And in light of what we've been talking about today, it would be appropriate for us to remember what Paul wrote in Romans 8.32. There Paul wrote, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so at the Lord's table today, remember that God loves to give us the things that we need. The threats that you're facing right now, if you know your God and you pray accordingly, you can be confident that he will give you exactly what you need. If you're a believer today, uh, regardless of your church affiliation or denominational background, we would love for you to join us here at the Lord's table. If you didn't get the uh, elements on the way in, feel free to slip out there uh, right just beyond the doors in the foyer here. And uh, please hold the elements, and, uh, and we'll first eat together, and then we will drink together. But first, take a few moments to reflect on the things we've been talking about here today. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word which reveals what is true about you, what is true about Jesus, the Son, what is true about the Holy Spirit. God, thank you that we are not in the dark. We thank you that you love us with an infinite love in Jesus Christ. We pray, God, in the midst of the threats that we face, in the midst of the everyday decisions that we, we make, that we would remember who you are and that we would pray accordingly. We pray that we ask that prayer would be a first resort for us, not a last resort. And so, God, may we be people who know our God and people who pray in faith. 
the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.